Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue Dr. Newfeld's brand new series in the book of Matthew called The Mysteries of Compassion. So turning your Bibles to Matthew 14, verses 13 to 21, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled The Kingdom of Compassion. Ever since the invention of constitutional democracies, the world has changed. You know, it was Abraham Lincoln after the devastating loss of life at the Battle of Gettysburg. He was invited to make an address, which I would argue is the finest speech ever made by a U.S. president. Addressing the meaning of the loss of life on that battlefield, Lincoln said that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Now, if you think about those key phrases, that first government is of the people, that is, of the people as a whole, and not simply the nobility that should govern, but that it is the people, that the members of government should be chosen by the people. But the phrase that the government should be for the people, well, that phrase, I think, to be the most significant of the three. And that's the ideal. It's something every human being on earth should yearn for. That is, the purpose of government is to be service to the people, that it is to bring benefit to the people, so forth. Now, as I've said, that's the ideal. But have we ever accomplished that? Well, we all know that political corruption is a part of living in a fallen world. Political leaders sometimes make decisions that will benefit either themselves or their family or their friends. And with these decisions, two things fall by the wayside. Now, the first is justice or righteousness. And the second is the good of the people whose good is so easily abandoned. We're about to read the story in Matthew 14 of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, in Matthew, this account follows right on the heels of the account of Herod Antipas in a drunken, sensuous stupor, agreeing to behead John the Baptist and serve up his head on a platter to be seen by his rowdy dinner guests. And in essence, that's what Matthew is doing. He's contrasting the government of Jesus with the governments of this world and especially, of course, the government of Herod. But in real time, that is, in the normal sequence of events, the two events are separated by a little bit of time. You know, first John would have been buried, and then John's disciples would have come to Jesus and reported the news. And then from the other Gospels, we know that at that time, the 12 have returned to Jesus from their first missions assignment. And they've reported to Jesus their crazy success. So it's, it's probably a number of weeks between the drunken savagery of Herod and the feeding of the 5,000. But Matthew, as is his custom, arranges his material so that we can learn spiritual lessons from what we read. And, and Matthew wants us to see that there is a vast difference between the kingdom of Jesus and the rule of Herod. Herod, you see, uses his leadership to feed his ego and to satisfy his own needs and wants. Jesus, on the other hand, uses his leadership to demonstrate a remarkable compassion on even unworthy people. So let's follow our text. Matthew 14, verse 13 reads, Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. You know, when Jesus heard about John, he decided to withdraw. I, I don't think that's because of his association with John that he was so in fear of what Herod might soon do to him. 
as was his custom. Periods of time were given to silence and meditation and to prayer. That's how Jesus kept perspective, even about the death of John. And that's how he continually centered himself with God. And so clearly with the death of John in a situation that was so genuinely evil, a time was needed for personal withdrawal and to reflect and to pray, and that's key. Now notice Matthew simply says that he went to a desolate place, but Luke tells us that he withdrew to the region of Bethsaida, which was on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that's also interesting. If if you've ever seen the Sea of Galilee, you're going to notice that it's not a very large lake at all, and it's surrounded by hills, and the lake is at the bottom of a kind of a bowl. So it's, it's very easy for crowds to see where Jesus is going. He's in the boat. And so they immediately follow around the lake, and they follow him to where they can clearly see he's going. Indeed, in this case, they already anticipated it so well, they beat him to his destination. So let's read verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So we need to stop here, and we need to think about Jesus' response to the crowds who robbed him of much needed time to be alone with his disciples and to be alone with God. His response, compassion. I think I would have said, look, I've come here for rest. Today, today's not the day. Instead, our passage says he healed all their sick, people without medical care and people who are susceptible to demon possession and people whose hard labor made them susceptible to injuries. All these people had needs. And I have no doubt the disciples took note. And as I think about it throughout the ages, the Christian church has also taken note. Jesus taught us to do more than love those who love us. You know, Paul told the Ephesian Christians to be imitators of God, to walk in love. He said, just as Christ offered himself up for us, we are to do the same. And so in response, Christian ministries, if they are deeply rooted in the New Testament, are always a combination of preaching the gospel and caring for the practical needs of others. It's never one or the other. It's always both. And so we always avoid the two extremes. One is only to preach and not to care for the practical needs of those who listen. And the other is to become a social relief agency that never leads people to faith in Christ. But Jesus exemplifies both. Now, to verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Send them away. It's evening. We're done. You know, contrast that to the attitude of Jesus. Jesus was trying to get away, and the crowds followed him. And he doesn't say, you know, you bother me, but in his weariness and in his need for prayer, he looks and he sees what? The poor, the sick, the hungry, and his heart is filled with compassion. But for the disciples, (laughs) their compassion is run out. Send them away. And in the next chapter, in chapter 15, verse 23, When a Canaanite woman came to Jesus begging for mercy, the disciples respond, send her away. And in Matthew 19, when the crowds were bringing their children, begging Jesus to bless them, it says the disciples rebuked the crowd. And when Luke records that event, he shows us the disciples said, don't bother the master and don't bother us either. Ah, the inconvenience of people. I've heard more than one pastor at times remark, you know, pastoring would be great if it weren't for all the people. But Jesus, not that way. He's moved with compassion. It's a mark of a true leader, the mark of a man who came not to be served, but to serve. 
He had seen that the people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And even though in John's gospel, when Jesus tells the crowds they only came for bread and had rejected the bread of life, even though he knows their motives and their attitudes and their values and their failure to see the great wealth of the kingdom, and yet his heart is moved with compassion because of their need. And this is the model that that Christ has left for us. You know, we do speak of, of the nature of the kingdom, and we do preach the gospel. And we do call men and women to be reconciled to God. We want them to repent of their sins and to receive Christ as their Savior and Lord. But even if they won't and never will, we must, like Jesus, still be moved with compassion and care for the needs of people. That is the legacy that Christ has left us. He told us that even though the kings of the earth seek to lord it over their subjects, his kingdom, he said, would be different. It would be a kingdom of service, humility, and compassion. And so in response to the request to send the crowds away to buy food, Jesus responds, verse 16. Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. I know we don't see this in our English Bibles, but in the Greek, it's an emphatic you. You give them something to eat. That's an order. You know, it's hard at this point to imagine what the disciples thought they should do. I mean, after all, how do they obey that command? You know, Mark, who records that, says that at that time, the disciples expressed incredulity. They say it would cost them 200 denarii, which would be about eight months of the wages of the average laborer. And they have no money, and they have virtually no supply of food. I mean, I feel for these men. Jesus has just given them a command that's impossible to keep. And so what are they supposed to do? But lest we feel too sorry for the disciples, you know, it might be worthwhile to note that had they thought about it, they would have come to some conclusions. I mean, first, it's not so easy to turn your backs on a command of Jesus. If he demands us to show compassion beyond our ability to respond, it's wrong to simply say, I don't have the resources. Apparently, Jesus is saying that's not good enough. But it's also true that the disciples are forgetting who they are with. They're with Jesus. You know, verse 17 says, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. It's sad, too little faith, too little compassion, too great a need. Hi, this is Joshua from In Doubt, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. Every week, In Doubt invites young adults into a conversation about the very real and challenging questions of faith, life, and culture. Our goal is to confront life's issues with the help of guest pastors and Christian leaders and to dive into the Bible to discover its truth and relevance for living life as a follower of Jesus. Join myself, Daniel, or Isaac every week along with special guests from around the globe to discuss things that matter most to you. Our hope is to reach not only the young adult who stands firm in their faith, but also the one who has questions or doubts. In Doubt can be heard through our podcast, mobile app, or on radio, and you can check out all of our programs and resources at indoubt.ca. In Doubt is a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada and possible only through the generous gifts of those who share our heart to engage a new generation with the Bible. For more information, or if you would like to support In Doubt with a financial gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit indoubt.ca. When we read about the five loaves and the two fish, we might think about the kinds of loaves of bread that we might pick up. You know, it's either at a grocery store or some kind of a bakery. 
But in truth, these five loaves weren't what we would imagine. You know, we have to imagine something that resembles a pancake. It's flat and round. John says that the loaves were made of barley, which would have been the cheapest grain, and it was often used as food for animals. But the poor had it as bread, and they learned to be thankful. And the fish would have been either pickled or it would have been dried. It would have been very small. So let's keep reading, verses 18 and 19. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass and taking five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. You know, all four gospel writers mentioned this miracle, but of the four, only Matthew mentions that Jesus said, bring them here to me. And the implication is that the disciples would have had to go to the lad who had the small lunch and asked him to surrender what he had to Jesus. I don't know whether Matthew meant that to be significant, but he may have. I mean here that even though Matthew doesn't mention the boy who had the small lunch, yet he does mention that whoever had it had to surrender the meager resources that he had. Did Matthew want us to see this as an act of sacrifice that was required? Well, you might wonder whether I'm reading something far too subtle into this text, and that might be, but perhaps, and yet, only Matthew mentions this. And if we read the Bible slowly and deliberately, as we ought, with a curious mind, I mean, that's a matter that simply stands out. How can surrendering one's lunch to share with a great crowd have any effect at all? I mean, why surrender that which would have no impact on the masses? But if this is what Matthew wants us to see, I mean, it can't help but make application here. Now, have you found that sometimes in the face of the great needs of our world that we find that we simply don't respond? I mean, after all, what difference does my small response make in the light of the world's great needs? I mean, the problems of hunger, the problems of disease, the need for vaccinations in third world countries, clean water, the need for energy, for education, the need to advocate for Christians who are suffering persecution today. I mean, what of the problem of orphans, of homelessness, of rescuing young girls caught up in the sexual slave trade? What of all of that? And on top of everything else, there is the need to present the gospel in parts of the world where there are few churches and where it's dangerous to do so. How can we sleep at night while we have churches that faithfully teach the gospel in our land? And they teach of the grace of Jesus while there are still at this moment untold millions who have no access to the word. How is it that we have not given ourselves more to calling for means of supporting gospel proclamation in unevangelized lands? But that's not to say that there aren't also great needs in our own land. If you're concerned with the public airwaves that are devoid of gospel content, Well, how about supporting gospel on the airwaves? I'm sorry, that was a shameless bit of self-promotion, but too, that is of vital importance. And when I say things this way, doesn't it seem to you that your five loaves and your two fish, well, what are they among so great a crowd? I I can't make a dent. And so why don't I just head over to an area that's out of sight with everyone else and consume my own resources? Perhaps then we need to hear Jesus' words and take them quite personally. My kingdom is a kingdom of compassion. Take that which you have and hear Jesus saying, bring them here to me. And so Jesus takes the five small pieces of bread and the two small fish and he looks up to heaven and gives thanks. 
Now, please notice that this is a tradition. It's a tradition deeply rooted both in Judaism and then later also in the Christian faith. That is, we don't eat and drink until we've bowed our head and we've raised our eyes to heaven and we've acknowledged that our indebtedness is to God who provides all things. I have no doubt that the prayer of Jesus here would have been in accordance with the traditional Jewish prayer. It would have been something like this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And with that, Jesus began to break the loaves and give them to his disciples. And of course, he just continued to break the loaves. Now, none of the gospel writers describe the details of this miracle. You know, we have to assume that the bread was simply multiplying in his hands as he broke it. What did that look like? And we aren't told. I suspect we aren't told simply because none of the gospel writers want us to become so fascinated with the actual mechanics of the miracle so that we might forget the implication of the miracle. You know, the Gospel of John, John makes much of something the other gospel writers don't mention. John mentions that this event inspired a debate among the people. The people want to know if Jesus was greater than Moses. Moses provided us bread in the wilderness, they say, for 40 years. You, says the crowd, you've only fed us for one day. And it was very impressive, but it's not yet to be compared to Moses. In response, in the Gospel of John, we hear Jesus say that he is the living bread who has come down from heaven. That is, this miracle that he does is merely a symbol that the people are to learn that he is both the creator of bread and he is the source of all life. Feed on me, says Jesus. And if you learn what that means, you'll learn just how significant this moment is to you. But Matthew doesn't mention any of that, and why would that be? Now, we must remember that when we began this series, I spoke of the matter of perspective. You know, four people witness a car accident from a different vantage point, and each of the four shows us an aspect of the same event from their unique vantage point. And so Matthew wants us to see this, that is, the feeding of the 5,000, from a different vantage point from that of John. That's not to say that Matthew isn't aware of the conversation that resulted from the miracle. But Matthew knows that if he mentions that, we won't see this miracle from his vantage point. Well then, what is it that Matthew wants us to learn from this miracle? Well, look at the end of the passage, and here I'm reading verses 20 to 21. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 basketfuls of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. That's what Matthew wants us to see. Jesus has the power to meet the needs of all who look to him. They were 5,000 men, and so we're going to assume an equal amount of women. And we're also going to assume another 10,000 children. And so we would have a large crowd of 20,000. One small lunch in the hands of him who made all things. In his hands, there's more than enough to meet the needs of everyone who looks to him. His provision is not in short supply. Indeed, when Matthew tells us that there were 12 baskets of food left over, we shouldn't assume it was thrown out. It wasn't. No Jew would have done so. This was either saved for the next day, or it was to be distributed among the poor, those who have not been there on that day. That is, not only was the miracle for those who looked to him, there is an overflow of blessing to those who haven't even been there. But at the very least, Matthew is telling us that Jesus has more than enough for everyone. And I began by speaking of Jesus' kingdom of compassion. 
Rather than sending people away to look after themselves, his heart is moved toward those who are needy. The implication of this just must not be lost on every single believer of Christ. So let me end with a story. Years ago, I remember a group of boat people from China, and they were arriving on the shores of Vancouver near the church I was then pastoring. Their arrival lit off a firestorm of debate as to how the Canadian government should respond to them. They were illegals. We had a Chinese man in our congregation who had no interest in the debate at all, one way or another. But he did have interest in the kingdom of compassion. So he raised support, and he provided every one of these people with blankets and met all of their other needs. And along with that, he included a Bible, and he spent time sharing the gospel of Jesus. And in the end, he won a great many of them to faith in Jesus. And we baptized them in our church. And I think that's a proper application of this account. Not send them away. Oh, don't misunderstand. I know that every country needs political solutions to their refugee problems. I'm not advocating for open borders, not one way or the other. But I am advocating for Christians to respond not politically, but with the attitude of Christ. Wherever there is need, whenever men and women are hungry and cold and naked and alienated from God, it's against the gospel of Jesus to simply send them away. There are more than enough resources in Christ to minister to the needs of those who are in need. His kingdom is always a kingdom of compassion. John, this message touches home for me. It's that, that idea of what Jesus said. He said to the disciples, give them something to eat. What, what is it, what's he saying to them? Yeah, and, uh, and it is important for us to hear what he has said and to recognize that this is a command that continues uh, to us today. And, uh, you know, we might say, it is too much. I mean, how can I possibly meet the needs of all the earth? And and in truth, I guess we can't. But in truth also, for us to allow the the greatness of the task to cloud our eyes to what's before us at the moment, uh, Christ has called us to do something, and that is we are to notice the woundedness of people, and we are to extend ourselves to bind up people's wounds. That is the call of Christ, and he does laid his energy, his power, his endless resources to his church, so we need not fear, but we are called upon to do the very thing that Christ has, has bid us to do. You give them something to eat. Thanks, John. And remember to join us tomorrow as we continue our series, The Mysteries of Compassion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Back to the Bible Canada has been privileged to have sat under the Bible teaching of Dr. John Newfeld for five years. We have seen the blessings of God upon this ministry, and one of those ways is the excellent teaching that Dr. Newfeld provides. God is at work in our nation, and that is something to celebrate. Back to the Bible Canada is celebrating this milestone in ministry by offering you, our valued friends in ministry, Dr. John's newest series, Faith and What We Hope For, and a special edition of our 2020 Highlight Reel series, which includes five of the most noteworthy messages from Dr. John on CD for you, free this month. It's a modest way of saying thanks for your support and encouragement. To request your gift today, call 1-800-663-2425 
or visit backtothebible.ca.